right. Good morning, everyone. I am super, super honored that we have a special preacher here with us this morning. Um, Patrick, do you want to join me up here? Patrick um, is been a part of this congregation for three years? Something like that. Something like that, like three years. And um, he recently began a journey um, to complete his seminary degree. And so we're really, really glad that he has an opportunity to be up here and preach for you all. Um, he'll be with us, I think, a couple times over the next couple months um, to preach for us as a part of completing his um, one of his courses for seminary. And so I am super, super glad that we have voices from our congregation that are diving in deep to scripture, that are learning how to proclaim the name of God, whether that's through a seminary degree or whether that's just because that's a part of who we are called to be as followers of Christ. So I'm really, really glad that Patrick is here with us this morning. Will you welcome him um, this morning? Thank you. Um, good morning. So in the masterpiece of contemporary theology known as Avatar The Last Airbender, there's a character who's known as the Cabbage Merchant. And if you've never seen the show, this is a traveling merchant that often ends up in the same city as our heroes. And as our heroes try to fight against the Fire Nation and free the Earth Kingdom, time and time again, something happens to destroy this merchant's cabbage cart. And each time his reaction is the same, he yells out, my cabbages! He's so focused on his cabbages that he's oblivious to the fact that the Avatar, the last airbender, which if you haven't seen the show, is a big deal, is actively trying to save the world. It's happening right in front of him, and he just can't move past the damages to his cabbages. Now, we're in the middle of a season called Lent, which is the 40 days, not including Sundays, leading up to Easter. And it's a time when traditionally followers of Christ would give something up in order to focus more on God. Now, imagine if the merchant had left behind his cabbages and saw the amazing things that were going on around him. Last Sunday, Pastor Beth reminded us how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's this tiny seed that's easily missed, but grows into a giant plant that takes over the entire garden. And we're going to be looking at another story from the book of Mark this week. Uh, the book of Mark was likely dictated to John Mark by Peter while Peter was imprisoned by the Romans. And there's this sense of urgency throughout, like Peter's worried that he's running out of time. There's a word that Mark absolutely loves. It's translated to immediately, and it appears 59 times in the entire Bible. 41 of those times are in the Gospel of Mark. This urgency is really critical to understanding what Peter was trying to get across, and you can see that in the very first chapter. The first time we hear Jesus speak, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, that word of repent, we've, we've talked about it over the past few weeks. And a lot of us, when we hear that word, we get this image of like Job wearing sackcloth and ashes and, you know, woe is me. Or like those two little dudes from the Disney movie Hercules, right? Like, we are worms. And, you know, for some people, it does look like that. But it's not what the word repent means. See, the word literally means to turn. We're turning away from sin and death and bondage and turning towards Jesus and life and freedom. And that's a cause for joy and celebration. And Mark wants us to know that the need to turn towards life is 
urgent. And we see that urgency again in the story we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible, please open it to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, please come see me after the service. I would love to help you get one. Um, If English isn't your first language and you don't have a Bible in your mother tongue, come see me. I would love to help you get one. Okay, Mark 5, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes, and when he stepped out of the boat, immediately, there's that urgency again, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. I want to stop for a minute and really picture this, because Mark does a great job painting this picture. This is a man who was so strong that he could break chains and shackles. Mark tells us that he lived among the tombs, which was probably some sort of cave system that was used as catacombs for those who could not afford a proper burial. The point is, this man was terrifying. Some translations even say that he would cut himself with the stones. So he would have been covered in scars and bruises. He would have smelled like body odor and decomposing bodies. He would have been unwashed and hairy. And the very moment Jesus stepped off the boat, he saw this man who would make John the Baptist say, dude, chill out, take a shower, sprinting towards him. What a welcoming committee. (laughs) Let's keep going. We're in verse 6 now. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now this part has always been a little baffling to me. These demons begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. The word that's used here is the same word used in verse 1. It is literally referring to the geographical area. There's nothing supernatural or metaphysical. The legion isn't referring to another realm of existence. They didn't want to be sent out of the immediate vicinity. Now, why is that? I'll be honest, I have no clue. Maybe they knew the area. Maybe they were familiar with the people. These are all just guesses. Maybe they had been assigned to the area and didn't want to get in trouble with their boss. Or maybe they thought this area was ripe for the picking because it was a Gentile area, full of people who did not believe in God. But regardless of the reason, the end result is the same. See, the kingdom of God doesn't have borders. The demons were so focused on staying where they were comfortable that they didn't consider the fact that there is no place on this entire planet that these demons could run and hide from God. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that I absolutely love. He says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. 
Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And we can see who's stronger based on the demoniac's words. Demoniac, by the way, is the term for somebody who is possessed by demons. This demon sees Jesus, who has taken on the body of a human being, and falls down before him. This legion of demons, thousands of them, get on their knees and beg this one person not to send them away. They're even desperate enough that they invoke the name of God in an attempt to protect themselves. Let's see what happens. We're in verse 13 now. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And so we've seen this before in Mark. A crowd gathers, they're all amazed, they flock to Jesus to hear him speak, and Jesus has to sneak off. Now, based on what we've seen over the past few weeks, we can assume that this is going to follow the same pattern, right? A miracle happens, the people are amazed, and the crowd gets bigger despite Jesus telling the person who was healed not to tell anyone. And so Jesus has to sneak off so he and his disciples can be alone. That would be a safe assumption, and we're going to see how it plays out. We've seen the miracle. We've seen the casting out of demons. Next should come the crowds. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. So we can check off the crowd. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And I'm going to pause here again, because I want that image to sink in. They came to Jesus and saw this demon-possessed man, the one who lived in the tombs and would wail all night and cut and bruise himself with the stones, the ones that they couldn't subdue. They saw him sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. I can't think of a modern-day analog here. The closest thing that I could think of is if you walked into a Starbucks in West Virginia and just saw Mothman there sitting in a suit, casually typing something up or reading the newspaper. So clearly, this is when the people are amazed, right? This is when they flock to Jesus and bring him their sick and their dying and their possessed so that they too might be healed. Let's keep going. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Afraid? And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's not how that's supposed to go. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for, for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. The word that's used here is also used to mean wondered. And that means wondered as in, wow, that's amazing, but it can also mean wondered as in, how did this happen because I have no clue. But notice what Mark doesn't say here. Not they marveled and believed. 
Not they marveled and gave glory to God. They simply marveled. And how could they not? I mean, can you imagine? Hey, did you hear about that dude that lives in the tombs and howls and breaks chains in his spare time? Yeah, he's normal now. His name's Steve. He's really nice. Now, different scholars have differing ideas on why the locals begged Jesus to leave. The Gospels are quiet on this as well. Matthew doesn't say anything about it. Luke doesn't say anything about it. And John is concerned with something else entirely, but that's normal. (laughs) My personal favorite theory is that they asked him to leave because he had just wrecked the local economy. These were Gentiles, and pig farming was often a major source of income in Gentile communities. These pigs represented their wealth, their power. So they saw this man run up to Jesus and fall down before him, point to the pigs, and then they watched as all of their pigs ran over the cliff and drowned in the sea. It's no wonder that they ran up to him and said, um, uh, Jesus, please leave. Despite the fact that Jesus had just healed someone so terrifying that they literally tried to chain him in a tomb and couldn't. Jesus had just raised this man into a new life, and all they could think about was, well, now what am I going to do for work? Guess I'm off tomorrow. Might have to cancel my vacation. So my question to us today is this. What are our pigs? What are the things in our lives that we focus on so intensely that it stops us from seeing the kingdom of God at work in the places where we live, work, and play? Because we all have them. We all have things in our lives that we hold on to so tightly that when we feel Christ telling us to loosen our grip and to look up, our reaction is often, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? We all have things in our lives that when the Spirit tells us we need to put them down, we want to cry out, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. You see, we get so caught up in money and lust and power and all of the things that our culture values that we fail to see that the kingdom of God is at work all around us. We get so caught up in the nine to five or in how tired we are or in how we just want five minutes to ourselves, please just let me have five minutes, that we completely miss the fact that the kingdom of God is near. Or maybe, like the, re- like the Legion, we're just comfortable where we are. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We, we want to stay where we're at, and so we don't see. We don't see the woman in line at Duncan who is grieving, the young couple who have just now entered the faith and are desperately searching for community. We don't see the lost neighbor who is so close to being found, or the broken man who is at this very moment being raised to a new life in Christ. And friends, I do this too. I am guilty as well. It is so easy to get caught up in our pigs. But in the words of the Reverend Dr. John Foreman of Switchfoot, we were meant to live for so much more. So here's what I want us to do. On the tables, there are some blank pieces of paper. I want you to take a moment and think about your pigs. Think about the things that distract you from seeing the kingdom of God at work. And write one of those down, or more if you feel led. I won't ask you to share this. I'm going to share mine, though. I'm comfortable, and I don't want to give that up. 
I get so into my routine, and if something happens to disrupt that, it is all I can think about. Now, what I am going to ask you to do is to crumple up that piece of paper when you're done and put it in your pocket. Maybe put it near your keys or your phone, and when you get ready tomorrow morning, hopefully you're wearing a different outfit. But take that crumpled up piece of paper with you. Keep it with you. Not as a source of shame, because there is no shame for you. Our, our Redeemer has made sure of that. But keep it with you as a reminder that the kingdom of God is still at work, despite whatever is on that piece of paper. A while back, Pastor Beth taught us a prayer that I absolutely love. It's very simple. Are you ready? God, open my eyes to the ways that you are already at work in this place. That's it. And she encouraged us to pray this in the parking lot at our office, or as soon as we sit at our desk, or whenever we're about to enter one of the places where we live, work, and play. I'm going to ask you to take this a step further, though. Keep that piece of paper in your pocket as you go about your week. And whenever you reach for your phone or your keys or that cough drop that you could have sworn you had, and you feel that crumpled up piece of paper, silently pray, God, open my eyes to the ways that you are already at work in this place. And keep an eye out for how the kingdom of God is at work around you. The people were too focused on their pigs. And maybe this is why Jesus told the man to go and tell everyone what had happened. Typically, he says, tell no one. Don't tell anyone what you've seen here today. But not here. Here he charges the man to go and spread the news. The people of this region had asked him to leave, and God doesn't force anyone to believe in him. But the kingdom of God was still at work there, as it is everywhere. And this man, this formerly demon-possessed man who lived in the tombs and wailed and bruised himself with stones, was needed to do kingdom work. After all, the rest of the people were too focused on other things. They couldn't see that this man had been set free. By telling the man to stay, he remained there as a reminder that something amazing had happened. Imagine with me for a moment what happened as time went on. The swine herds moved on. They got new jobs. Maybe they even recovered financially. Maybe they got more pigs. But they weren't so focused on their pigs anymore. And so one day, as they were walking by the tombs, they remembered. They remembered the man that they had tried to chain there. And they remembered the stranger from Galilee that had come and set him free, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And then maybe, just maybe, they saw that man later in the day and heard him telling the story once more. Maybe then they heard it and marveled. And maybe then they believed and they were set free too. All this because this man stayed to spread the news of how Jesus set him free. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. 
that Jesus, the Son of God, would forego the glory of heaven so that he could take on flesh, so that he might break our chains, he might heal us, he may set us free. And maybe you can think of an area in your life where Jesus is setting someone free right now. Maybe someone at school, a neighbor, a coworker. Maybe it's you. Maybe Jesus is at this very moment setting you free. And if that's the case, then praise God. I'm about to pray, and then we're going to sing one more song together. As we do, think about those areas in your life, those people and places that you have seen Jesus setting them free. Or maybe it's a place that you think, I've been distracted and I didn't realize that Jesus was at work here. And then if you want to, during this song, take one of these markers on your table there and write on one of these posters along the wall where you have seen Jesus setting someone free. This is an act of worship just as much as singing the song. If you would like, as an act of worship, if you're realizing that you're too focused on your pigs, stay in your seat while we're singing and pray and ask God to help you to let go of these pigs. Because, friends, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the incredible ways that you are at work around us, even when we can't see them. We ask that you will open our eyes to what you are doing. We ask you to loosen our grip on these things that distract us from seeing your kingdom at work. And as we leave church this Sunday, we ask that we would do so with the knowledge that your kingdom doesn't end at these doors, that the driveway doesn't mark the border of your kingdom, that your kingdom extends far beyond this place, far beyond Montgomery County, far beyond Maryland. God, we don't pray that you will do a mighty work in our community because, God, you already are. We pray that you will help us to see it. We love you, God, and we praise your name. Amen.